Good morning, Grace Chapel. Hey, how many of you like to make choices? It's not that many. Uh, I mean, you might be saying the follow-up question is, okay, choices about what? What are we choosing here? Like, if we're choosing donuts and ice cream, then yes. I love making those choices. Uh, Boston cream, right about now. How many like Boston cream? Yeah, okay, so you're with me. We're good. But what if it's a choice between opposites? Like, what if it's a choice between what's right and what's wrong, or even more difficult for you what and me, what if it's kind of this, what we would call a gray area? Do you like making choices then? Are, are you the kind of person who vacillates? <laughs> you know, you're, you're in the line at the donut shop, and it's like, come on, man, let's uh, choose a flavor. Just do something here. Uh, are you someone who overthinks everything? Yes, some of you said yes. Your, your husband said yes for you, or your wife said yes for you. Our country is going to be making a choice on November the 3rd. Um, have you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, been bathing this election of our governing authorities, who God ultimately places there, uh, have you been bathing that in prayer? I mean, have you really? Is it that serious for you? Have you been praying, as we learned last week in the Lord's Prayer, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount together, Jesus' first sermon recorded for us, have you been praying for God's will on earth as it is in heaven, and when that will is declared on November the 3rd, we like to say it's the will of the people. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it's the will of God. He is in control. He is sovereign over everything. Will you be okay as a follower of Jesus Christ? Will you continue to live your life as a follower of Jesus Christ? Big questions. And over the next two weeks, as we approach that day, we're at a point in the sermon where Jesus is going to lay out choices. Actually, it's one choice, really. A choice for his disciples. And if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior today and you trust in that salvation, his death on the cross, then this is a choice you have to make. And it's a, and it's a choice with eternal consequences. And he's going to say it four different ways. It's that important. I'm going to handle the first three this week, and Ben is going to handle the fourth one next week. And the choice before us revolves around two kinds of treasure. There are two kinds of treasure that, that vie for your attention and for mine every day. There are two kinds of, of, of treasure that we have to choose from even if you don't realize you are, we're making those choices every day. Between the two, one of the two. There is no middle ground here. And when you think of treasure, because we need to get into the, the mode here, when you think of treasure, what do you think of? Go ahead, go ahead, yell it. What, what do you think of when you think of treasure? What? Oh, gold, like, like a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Yeah, okay, what else do you think of? Yes, that's what I think of, pirate treasure, like the, the booty, man, like pieces of eight, you know, all that stuff. Um, I think of Alibaba and the 40 Thieves in that cave, and it was just vast gold, silver, precious gems, everything you could imagine was there. Is that what you think about when you, when you think of uh, a treasure? Or, or maybe for you it's the lottery. <laughs> that would be a treasure. 
Let's go even deeper than that right now as we, as we get into the message. What's the one thing that if you had to leave the house that you live in in a hurry and you knew you were never coming back, what's the one thing you would grab? <laughs> Good answer. All right. All right. Good. Did you hear that? Yeah, okay. My wife. Yeah. What is the one thing you would grab? And what would she grab? <laughs> you know, idea, yeah. When we consider what our treasure is, we're talking about a heart condition. That's where Jesus is going to go. Your heart, your life, what is truly, truly important to you and what really matters. And and as you think about it this morning, because we've just brought up the subject, is it a something or is it a someone? And Jesus is going to clear all that up in the next two weeks. He he always does. He's been clearing it up for us as we've gone along this process in his his sermon for the last uh, five weeks now. And what Jesus is going to do to help us get a handle on this is he's going to contrast He's going to contrast earthly treasures, and there's nothing wrong with them, all right? They're not necessarily bad. But he's going to contrast the earthly treasures that most of us know all about with heavenly treasures that are absolutely good every time, all day, all the time. First, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. If you're following along, wonderful, open up your device, open up your Bible. We'll have most of the verses on the screen for you. Jesus goes on in his message, and he says, after the Lord's Prayer, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Pretty clear. Moth and rust destroy those, and and thieves will break in and steal it. I mean, okay, you get in the picture? But verse 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, because there neither moth nor rust destroys, thieves uh, cannot break in, and they can't steal it. And then he caps it with verse 21, this first illustration of the two treasures. For where your treasure is, there it is, there your heart will be also. And do these verses mean then, as, as I've heard some say, that Christians should, for example, have no savings account? Right? You should have no retirement accounts, no, no, none of, none of that stuff. You should have nothing stored away at all. As it comes in, it should go out. I would say, taking in the total scope of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, no. That, that would, that's that's how, how I would approach it. There's a responsibility that is so clear for followers, followers of Jesus Christ to care for their family, to care for those around them, to, to plan for their loved ones. And that just comes from being a follower of Jesus Christ. That's just plain. God used Joseph to what? In in Egypt. Remember that story in Genesis? God used Joseph to have them store up, what? Seven years worth of food for the purpose of saving Egypt, and which Joseph didn't realize at the time, the fledgling new nation of Israel from starvation. It's an amazing time. So if it's not your savings account or your retirement account, what's Jesus getting at here? Like, what's he talking about? And I think if we focus this morning a little bit on the meaning um, of, 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 and we consider what, what, what Jesus means by the phrase treasures in heaven. What does he mean by that, treasures in heaven? And Paul helps us out a little bit here when you think about treasures of heaven. Look, look, look at 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 7. Paul says, 
but we have this treasure. So there is a treasure. And who has it? We have it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like we already got it. It's like, this is, this is pretty cool. Uh, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, which is Paul's way of saying our bodies are made out of, like you say clay, this would be a little more crass, dirt, okay? I mean, that's humbling, isn't it? Yeah, when you, when you stop to think about that. And inside of these bodies of dirt, which are corruptible and will die one day, there is some kind of treasure. And why do we have this treasure? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's why you have this treasure. But what is the treasure? Well, if you read the first six verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says very plainly, the treasure that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, have inside of us is the light, the enlightenment that God gave us. We didn't get it on our own. We didn't work real hard for it. God gave it to us in order that we would have the knowledge of the glory of God as seen in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what you and I have. It's to know and believe the gospel, which has got nothing to do with us. God did that, and he placed it inside of us. It's unbelievable treasure. So treasures from heaven come only from God. And it's by his grace, and they are of eternal significance. So that's number one. Then Paul goes on in, in the letter before that, in 1 Corinthians, he says in chapter 3, verses 11 to 15, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid. It's already there. God has already laid something for you and I to build our lives on. And it's Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on Jesus... And you have, this is a choice. This is a choice you get to make every day. What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do today? How are you going to respond to people? How, how are you going to live, work, spend your money? All those things. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, so here's some, here's some treasures, all right? What we're, what we're talking about. With gold, silver, precious stones, sounds like the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? And he throws in wood, hay, and straw. He says, each one's work, whatever you build, will be manifest. This treasure will be shown whether it's earthly or heavenly. For the day, there's coming a day that will disclose it. And we, none of us can escape this day because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So if you go back and you look at the materials that Paul said you can build on the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life, um, you know immediately how this is all going to end, right? <laughs> like wood, straw, okay, what happens when fire hits that? It's gone. And he says if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Oh, there it is. There's a reward. There's, there's, there's something going on here. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll, he won't get that reward. He'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved because of his faith in Jesus Christ or her faith in Jesus Christ, but only as though through fire. Again, the treasure, it can, can, are you beginning to see the picture that, that Paul and, and, and then later on Peter's going to do it and John does it as they write their, their letters after the Gospels? That, that the treasure is all about Jesus. It's not about what you sometimes hear on TV. 
It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. It's about people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, having the light turn on in their life, and they get it. And the treasure that you and I have been given and then build on in our life has eternal consequences. Another great way to understand what what Jesus is preaching, what what he's saying here is to consider what distinguishes an earthly treasure from a heavenly treasure? And, and, And is there overlap even sometimes? Well, listen to Peter who was at that sermon on the mount and heard Jesus, and you see it so often in First and Second Peter, he repeats a lot of these ideas that Jesus taught. First Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. When, would he, when did he write this? Like 2,000 years ago. And the end of all things is at hand. How much closer are we today? I'm hearing a lot of talk that the end of all things is at hand <laughs> all over this planet. If there ever was a time for a leader to step up with a vision for the future and draw people together, his name would be Antichrist. And has there ever been a better time than the days you and I live in? But Peter says the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, what should you and I as Christians do? Well, here's some treasure. Be self-controlled. You seen a lot of self-control going on outside? And be sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers, the shades of Jesus' um, Lord's Prayer when he gave us the model last week. And above all, he says, keep loving one another earnestly how you love. Since love covers a multitude of sins, and let's all put our hands up, are you a sinner? Yeah. Show hospitality to one another. How? Without grumbling. Because each one of us has received a gift, he says. So use it. Use the treasure God's already given you to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There's all kinds of gifts in this room. And they're the treasures that God has given us, and we're supposed to take those treasures and build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he says, if if you can speak really well, if if that's your gift, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, if you can serve in any manner at all as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, why? Why do we do all this? Well, it's the same no matter if you're in the Gospels, if you're in the Old Testament, New Testament, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory, the dominion forever and ever. This is his kingdom. And Jesus is presenting it to us in his Sermon on the Mount. And he's saying, are you in or are you out? And if you're in, this is what it's going to look like. Treasures in heaven aren't flashy. Treasures in heaven aren't self-promoting. And they'll probably cost you quite a bit of the earthly treasures, which are okay. This is the cost. This is when Jesus started presenting this information later on that disciples started to walk away. Wait a minute, this is going to actually physically cost me something? Yeah. That's why you were given it in the first place, to use it, to serve. Treasure. So, So a treasure is what you and I value. One person's junk is another person's treasure. All of you uh, who like to shop the streets. (laughs) 
So wouldn't we, after Jesus just said this, wouldn't you presume, I guess we should never presume, should we? Wouldn't you uh, presumably concentrate on the kind of treasure that will last and, and can be stored without any depreciation or any deterioration? It's like... It's like if you treasure that Bosch and Cream donut and you've got it, Jesus is saying, if that's a heavenly treasure, of course it's not, but I'm just using this illustration. I wish it was. How long is it going to last? Forever. It's like, whoa, yes, that donut. Because the other ones deteriorate and lose their value and depreciate. It's kind of a no-brainer, Right? You'd think so, but you and I are slow to learn. Case in point, follow me around for a week and watch me slip up. So Jesus describes it a second way. Verse 22, the eye, talking about treasure here now, okay, people, let's move on. The eye is the lamp to your body. It's the eye gate. So if your eye is healthy... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, which of course means you have a bad eye, how great is the darkness? That's a bad place to be. Do you remember what Jesus said back in Matthew 5 when he started off the sermon and he was talking about um, your, your eye if it causes you to sin? What did he say? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Of course, that's hyperbole. He's exaggerating to make his point. He doesn't literally want you to tear it out because as we all talked about many, many times, you've got another eye and you'll sin with that one. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than the whole body be thrown into hell. So keeping in mind the previous verses and where Jesus is going with this idea, what's the eye a picture of? It's it's what you allow in. It's what you allow to come into your life. It's what you allow to be called treasure that you value more than heavenly treasure. What sort of things distort your vision? What sort of things sway you away from heavenly treasure and get you focused here? What sort of stuff stops you from being full of light? Is it anxiety over the governing authorities at your workplace? Is it anxiety over our country's politics that are so divisive? Is it your health or someone else's? Is it, is it relationships? Maybe it's acceptance and, you know, how you measure up uh, to expectations from maybe a parent or, or a boss. Or maybe it's the accumulation of treasure so that people will look at you and point and say, they're successful. It would seem for a disciple of Jesus Christ that the follow-up question to what Jesus, how Jesus says it a second time would be, okay, Jesus, what can I do to make my eye healthy? What can I do as your disciple? Because I, I want heavenly treasure. I want to do this thing right. I'm tired of being frustrated. I'm tired of being tempted and, and giving in to those temptations. What do I do to make my eye healthy? And as always, God's word has the answers. 
Like, like Psalm 101, verse 3. I will not set my eyes, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Surround yourself with godly people. Get better friends who build you up and don't tear you down, who build you up in the things that God's so clear about, godly people, people who show the fruits of the Holy Spirit in their life, people who, who wear the armor of God and it's so obvious, people who, who, who walk the Beatitudes we were, went through in, back in chapter 5, and that describes them to a T. Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law, out of the word of God. How do you get that? God has to open your eyes to that. No pastor, no parent, no best friend can do that for you. God does the opening. That's why the psalmist is praying to God to open their eyes. So pray. Pray for illumination. Quit praying for stuff. Pray for illumination from God's word. Immerse yourself in this book. Drink it eat it, live it like it really does matter, like it really is indispensable to your life, like it is a treasure from God. 2 Timothy 3.16, every bit of Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training you in doing the right things, in righteousness, that the man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. What we allow our, our, our eyes to take in says a lot about us. What, about the kind of treasure that we, that we value enough to give our time to, to give our sweat equity to, to, to work hard for. It's where your heart really is. So you can say all you want, you can come to church all you want, but the way you live your life tells the tale. I want to pause here for a minute because whenever humans, especially Christians, talk about treasure or, or laying up something for the future, we in, invariably always come to the topic of reward. It's a hot topic. Reward. We know there are heavenly treasures. How do we know that? God, yeah, Jesus just said so, okay? End of, end, of, end of conversation. There are heavenly treasures. Okay, we're not, we're not gonna go back there again, all right? It's done. But what might they be? Uh, some say that God is going to dispense treasure in the form of mansions. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright yeah. Is that why you do what you do? And he's going to give it to those who have proven to be faithful, which means that those who haven't been faithful don't get a mansion. When they get to heaven, they get a, I don't know, a shack. And some people have this idea that there had better be a reward for me doing all this hard work. Others say there are no rewards at all. There's nothing. No, no, no. Everything comes to us by grace, so there can be no rewards for the effort we put into life to live for God today. 
So you got the two extremes. Hey, it sounds like politics, doesn't it? These two vast, there's no in-between. And they'll kick you out of the church if they happen to, yeah. Don't you have a problem with both of these extreme views? The problem with the God of the gold stars where, you know, at least he's going to put my my star in one of those streets of gold with my name on it, you know, it's going to, the problem with that is that God promotes and has been all through the Sermon on the Mount here. What kind of attitude? A humble servant attitude and a mentality for all of his sons and daughters. And the problem with the idea that there is no heavenly treasure is that it contradicts what Jesus just preached in verse 20. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Like, do this. That's a command. So it's a subject that's been abused by so many. Uh, in, uh, Paul talked about certain men, he actually named them by name, who were leaders who were leading for money. And today, as I listen to men and women on TV, they're insinuating that I can store up treasure if I give to their ministry. If you are a grace-minded person, and you should be, you might not be comfortable with any talk about rewards and motivation. And that's understandable because grace and rewards in God's Word don't go together. But Jesus suggests that there's a way that they do. So what is that way? Again, Paul helps us out a lot here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, here's his illustration about you and I doing this discipleship thing. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? Yeah, I know that, Paul. But only one receives the prize. Oh, there's that word, prize. So run, follower of Jesus Christ, what? So that you may obtain it. That would be the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things in order to get these prizes and they do it to receive this perishable wreath that gets put on their head and they, I think they get the keys of the city for like a day or something and they, they get paraded around, but that's it. The next day it's gone and they've got to run another race to get another reward. I mean, it doesn't last very long. And they do that for something that is perishable. But you and I do it for something that's imperishable. It's back to that, that Boston cream donut. I just can't get off of that. It lasts forever. And in, and in 1 Corinthians 9, earlier in verse 18, Paul said, what then is my reward? He makes it personal. And for Paul, he says, that in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. It was in a context where he was, he was saying, uh, those who teach and preach God's word should be paid accordingly. But for me... I've been convicted that I'm going to do it for free so as not to make full use of my right to get paid in the gospel. So for Paul, this way of living and using the treasure that God had given him and the gifts and abilities he had to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, this way of living helped him keep life in perspective. His reward, catch this, this is, this is what it is for all of us. His reward was actually a sacrifice to God for the sake of the gospel. When I think about rewards, I often don't think about sacrifice. 
like those are like two opposites. And in God's economy, they're the same thing. It's like when you do something of service for someone else. You didn't go above and beyond. I didn't go above and beyond. We did what was reasonable for a follower of Jesus Christ. And that sacrifice becomes our reward. Philippians 3, 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, this is what Paul says, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. And I always consider when, I'm, when I think about what it is I'm supposed to do and what it is that God has provided for, for me personally, I'm always thinking about when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that'll be, but our worship of God when we get to heaven will not only continue, but it'll intensify. And I, like the, I love the scene that, that God gave to John in Revelation as he started to show him what's going to happen and how this planet is going to unfold and burn up one day and that God's going to recreate. And it's in, it's in Revelation chapter 4, verse 9. It talks about these living creatures that were around the throne of God, these amazing, awesome beings. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders who are gathered around the, the throne fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And how do they worship him? Watch this. In heaven, they cast their crowns. Where did the crowns come from? Rewards, prizes, gifts given to them, honor and authority given to them. And they took those crowns off before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So they give it all back to God anyway. So that's then. What about now? Well, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 6, talks about this life. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he, what, everybody? Rewards those who seek him, who seek first the kingdom of God who seek heavenly things over earthly things, who take all the earthly things that they're given and use it for heavenly things. So whatever the treasure of heaven may be for you, it's nothing in comparison to Jesus, is it? Jesus is the reward for everyone who seeks him. Could Jesus be our treasure in heaven? Stop and think about that. People who are slaving in this life for mansions are misguided. When Jesus is your home, what on earth do you need a mansion for? And the last thing that we end today, what Jesus says as he repeats the same theme for the third time, he gets to the heart of the matter with this third one. It's in, it's in verse 24 of chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, as he's trying to serve both, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here comes that famous line. If you've, if you've been in church, you, you have to have heard this. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. Um, a modern poet saying this. You might like to wear cotton. You might like to wear silk. You might like to drink whiskey. You might like to drink milk. You might like to eat caviar. You might like to eat bread. You may be sleeping on the floor or sleeping in a king-size bed, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It's the dilemma encountered by every disciple who tries to straddle the fence. You always end up serving one side of the fence and betraying the other. You can't sit on the fence. You can't live both sides and sleep well at night. Religious people can even delude themselves and believe the lie that they are working for heavenly treasure for God when in actuality their life displays that they're working for earthly treasure. The Pharisees, who Jesus just lambasted over the last couple weeks as we went through this sermon and publicly shocked them and probably the peasants who were listening to him, they believed with all their heart that they were accumulating treasures in heaven. They, they believed that they were serving the one and true God who they called Yahweh. And Jesus later has this captured by the Apostle John in chapter 8 of his gospel, verse 44, to the religious, religious leaders. You are of your father, the devil. Whoa. And your will is to do your father's desires. What he wants, you want. It's earthly stuff. And he was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And these self-acknowledged righteous leaders followed Satan's desire and handed Jesus Christ over to the Romans to be crucified. And from what we know about them, as it's written in the Gospels, it was motivated by greed for earthly treasures. How would you counsel someone, a friend, someone in your family, maybe son or daughter, who, who lives their life as if it is possible, literally, as Jesus uses the word here in the Greek, to be a slave to God and a slave to money. What would you say? Well, look at slavery in Jesus' context, the, the time frame in which he lived. You could work for two employers at the time of Christ, but no slave could be the property of two different masters. It's, it's impossible. Single ownership and full-time, 24-7 service was the essence of slavery back then. So anybody who divides their allegiance between God and money, and this is, by the way, isn't that interesting what Jesus uses as the capstone for what earthly treasure is? He uses what? Money. Why? Because it doesn't matter uh, what culture you live in, what time of history you live in, that resonates. Everybody understands that. 
And the person who tries to do both has already given in the money. And God can be served only with an entire and exclusive devotion. But, but Pete, I go to church. Pete, I am actually in a small group. Whoa. I've arrived. I serve at Oakland Hope. I went on a foreign mission trip with my own money. I sing for God on Sunday. I play my, an instrument for God on Sunday. I teach the kids down the hall on Sunday for God. I deliver meals for God to people who need them. And Pete, I tithe my money. And know what I say? Great. <laughs> Keep doing that. But if your true allegiance, where your heart is, is to earthly concerns, if those earth-centered concerns govern your choices, beyond that, all that labor doesn't resonate with God. Because Jesus makes it so clear here how life really works. God can be served only with an entire and exclusive devotion, and this is simply because he is God. That's it. Isaiah 42, 8. I, this is God, I am the Lord. This is my name. And I will not yield my glory to another. Who God has declared himself to be ends all our questions, makes our choices clear. It's the most important question we can ask before we pray, before we serve, before we come even to worship God like on a Sunday, before we go to class, before we go to work, or, or when we work from home. When we go to buy something, the most important question is, who is God? The wrong answer can spell our doom in this life. Because God has clearly revealed himself in his majesty, in his word. Just as Moses asked on Mount Sinai, God, show me your glory. You and I, we need to be asking that a lot. In a world where everything's confused and gray. And to share him with any other loyalty is to opt for idolatry. An important element of our worship together as, as we gather together is to, approach, is to approach our Heavenly Father seeking heavenly treasure. So we're going to conclude this morning, just before we sing, with a little interaction, you and me. I'm going to ask a question. It's going to be up on the screen. And then you're going to answer the question, and it's going to be from the glory of God's Word. And I'm going to make it easy. You don't have to make it up. You have to think. It's going to be on the screen for you, okay? So this is kind of a responsive thing that we're going to do now, and I'm going to do the first one. Okay, let's, let's go with that. Who is your maker, church? The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. What is your creator like, church? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Can you trust your maker even when life is hard? Church, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What does this creator of yours deserve? Church, know that the Lord, he is God. 
It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And all together now, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Would you stand with me? And let's pray before our God before we lift our voices in song to our God and seek the treasure of heaven. Heavenly Father, you've reminded us, and you do over and over and over, about what really matters, of your awesome glory, of the salvation that's given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, of the life that we are to now live as light in darkness. And Lord, we we sing to you now. We lift up your name because it's the only name that matters. Amen.